Okay, so same person actually, uh, Sarah Adler, one of our viewers, asked uh, what it means to be a Jew. So what does it mean to be a Jew? I think that's a that's a complicated yeah, question. question. Yeah. It probably means something different to everyone. Um, as a rabbi, uh, when I meet with children or when I meet with teenagers, um, part of what it means to be a Jew is to understand that you are a part of a story that began 3,000 years ago that has an eternal connection to the past, to the future, to the present, and to God simultaneously. The Jew is connecting in ways which are profound and hard to describe and explain. I think one of the hardest, one of the hardest struggles that people your age and the generation that's emerging now is having is that we live in a world of the selfie, right? Everything's reflected at us. Everything is, oh yeah, it's all about me. It's all about me. I can identify uh, with how I want to identify. I can think with how I want to think. Everything is autonomous uh, and um, really emanating from the self. Judaism is far, far more, far more expansive than just me. Right. So to be a Jew is to understand you're part of a story. That's number one. To be a Jew is to understand that you're also a part of a mission. Right. The world's a broken place. It has been since its inception. Right. Humanity is flawed. Humanity is fallible. And part of the part of the mission of the Jew is to take the Torah, which is the first GPS system in the history of the world. And the GPS system is supposed to take us from a broken place to a perfect place. And the mitzvot are simply mechanisms by which we can help improve the world, or Goyim, to be a light unto our neighbors, to help people understand that there is a civil, welcoming, uh, inclusive, uh, and of course, compassionate way to live. Um, and that's that's part of what it means to be a Jew. Um, what would you, and, uh... you know, look, we could talk about this for, for hours. For me, it may mean something different than somebody else, but um, I've been gifted with what I'll call the spiritual DNA of the Jewish people. You can't cut me open and find, uh, you know, the Jewish organ necessarily, but you can see that there is a spiritual DNA that's been passed down from Avram Avinu until the three of us. And we all feel it. We all know it's there. How we utilize it is ultimately how we express what it means to be a Jew as individuals. I see. Like going on that same, going off that tangent, actually, feeling that spirituality is like obviously very crucial as a Jew. So what advice would you say or give to someone who doesn't necessarily feel as if they have that metaphorical DNA strand, if they feel like kind of disconnected. And I see for you, you always like long to understand your past and your family and your community. But what would you say for people who maybe do desire to go back in their past and understand about their heritage, but feel disconnected or for some reason can't handle it or can't? So uh, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think that the reflective question unto itself testifies to you got the spiritual DNA, right? You've got it inside of you. Um, the disconnect that an individual may feel from Judaism or from the Jewish people is not reflective of the whole. It's reflective of that person's individual experience. Something's happened or something hasn't happened that causes an individual to say, this is something I don't get. This is something that seems inaccessible or archaic or irrelevant. And for that person, right, their perspective 
requires a tweaking. And they can't do that themselves, right? It requires conversation. Uh, it requires a reevaluation of what it actually means to be a Jew, um, what the texts actually say. You go, you talk to a rabbi, you, you, you take Jewish studies classes in college, uh, you start going to Davin, you go to a Chabad, you go to a Hillel, you go to a conservative shul. As long as you're searching, then eventually, and I, I'm committed to this idea, anybody who's searching um, will always find their way back, right? That's what, you know, Balchuva. What does, what does yeah. Tshuva mean? Return. Right? So the person who's disconnected always somehow circles back. Now, Stephen, it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. I see this often. You know when it happens? It usually mm -hmm. happens for people who sense disconnection. Um, they sense disconnection until something traumatic happens in their life, like when a parent dies. And suddenly they think to themselves, how can I honor my parent? The same way that my parent honored theirs, which is to come to Shul and say Kaddish. And even though I haven't wrapped to fill in in 50 years, and even though I don't know the prayers, and even though the Siddur is foreign to me, I feel like I got to go. And they come. And suddenly that spiritual DNA becomes awakened. And they start asking questions and they start coming to Torah study and they start coming back to Shul. Now, for kids your age, I would hope that that type of experience or that type of journey doesn't require the death of a parent. Yeah. Like, I think, especially in this interview, anyone who's listening has in some way has that DNA strand of spirituality because they're the ones going to hear this video and going to question, going to understand because yeah. they've gone to search up this video or, or clicked on a link or tried to just understand better. So I think for our viewers, like if, if like you can sum it up. Alternatively. So look, I, I think a lot of times we do a disservice and I can only speak to Jews. All right. I, I can't speak on behalf of Christianity, but in many ways we do a disservice to our children by telling them being Jewish is really important, right? You've got to be proud of who you are, right? Make sure that you marry somebody who's Jewish. Make sure that you raise Jewish children. Make sure you keep the story alive. But the, the second part of that directive has to include the why Judaism is so important, right? What is it what does it do? What is it? What is its utility? How does it make me and my life? How does it make it more meaningful? And kids who are feeling disconnected, either from God or from Judaism, have missed out on that experience. And they're coming to you with questions, but they're 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 looking at it through the prism of you know. All right, here's a book of, of five books of Moses, and you know a God that reaches down and splits a sea with his hand and is destroying the world with a flood. It sounds like a cartoon, right? It sounds mythological. And your generation is sophisticated. So if you're looking at the Torah and you're looking at Judaism through an unsophisticated cartoon lens, you're not going to find it meaningful at all, right? But Judaism as a 3,000-year tradition is, again, as I said, the most complicated and sophisticated discourse in human history, right? So, you know, you take, for example, you know, Maimonides, yeah? Yeah. Rambam. Rambam. Okay. There are, I think it's 32, but I'm not 100% sure. There are 32 pictures of the most important thinkers in world history in the Supreme Court of the United States that contributed to the way in which we understand law. 
to the way in which we understand interpersonal relationships, to the way in which we understand philosophy. Rambam's picture is in the Supreme Court of the United States of America, right? Not because he was one of the most profound religious thinkers of all time, but because what he contributed to the idea of law, to the idea of uh, interpersonal relationship, to the idea of even democracy is unparalleled. So he was a brilliant intellect who also, by the way, also a scientist and a doctor, brilliant yeah. intellect, yeah. who was also a rabbi, right? And those two things coincide. So the smart kids asking questions fall right in line with Jewish tradition because it's a very smart discipline. I see. I, yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. Like the, the conglomerate of ideas that are involved in Judaism, it's not necessarily just those mythological stories. It's not. It's actually the bigger meaning in that. And that like when, you know, every, every story, look, every story has underneath it. The Hebrew language is a code, right? So the Hebrew language is constantly giving you hints as to what the intention of the text is. So you read a story about, I don't know, this, we're reading a story about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What's it really about? And when you look at the Hebrew and the way that it's structured, and you look at the Midrash that's underneath the layers of the text, you realize that it's about a civilization that justified and legalized bad behavior. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because they made it permissible, or they made it, sorry, they made it criminal to give to the poor so that they could get rid of poor people from Sodom and Gomorrah. The reason it was destroyed is because a young girl, Lot's daughter, do you know this story? You know the story yeah, or no? Yeah. yeah. Why, was, why was Sodom destroyed? Um, was it like, I, I just remember the destruction part where they were like going out and if they turned uh, back, the they pillar turned, of salt. Yeah. yeah. Right. There you go. That's what you remember. You remember the part, oh, she turns around, she turns into a pillar of salt. This makes no sense. Right. But that's not what the story is really about. The story is about a young woman, Lot's daughter, who defies the directive of her community and gives food to a man who's starving to death and gets caught and gets burned at the stake. And why she screams is because she's so upset that she'd done something righteous and is being punished for it. And God hears her cry. Right? Yeah. That's what the story's I mean, about. Yeah. So, I mean, you can also, in a way, see parallels, I guess. Like, we have all sorts of societies that have risen and fallen in the past, like Greek society, like Greek society Roman society. And I guess you really see at the very, uh, the very base of it all, why did they collapse? You know, it's because because something immoral uh, was made moral in the sense of like through the community's eyes. So I think it's very interesting how through these Jewish stories, you're actually able to really like analyze and interpret how a society can really fall. And I really like how um, with that, like it's kind of what you're talking about is like in my eyes, I guess, not just cause it's lunchtime, but layers of cake essentially. So when you look at the Torah, before and which is why you recite it you, you when you first look at the torah and these stories it's like the first layer it's kind of like you don't really understand it because you haven't really like eaten it. you don't comprehend it you can't comprehend it and it might seem illogical because how can you judge a cake based on its first layer like you're gonna say it's not moist it's dry it's illogical it's not tasty. nice but nice after years upon while you, you can just dive into more layers just understand these nuances like now i understand a lot solder 
I feel like you can connect with that cake, so to speak, on a deeper level because now you can taste yeah. all of its ingredients. By the way, brilliant analogy, right? Brilliant analogy. If you're just eating, if you're just eating the icing, yeah, it might taste good. It might be sweet, but you can only eat so much of it before you get nauseous, right? Yeah, you gotta have the whole piece for you to really understand how good the cake actually is. And I think that part of the challenge for American Jews especially is that we don't have the time in most communities or we don't make the time to teach anything other than the first layer, right? You're lucky you go to day school, right? You go to day school. What about these kids that are in supplemental Hebrew schools that are for four and a half hours a week? It's really challenging. Yeah, that's what we hope like to bring to, like we hope we can just provide a better perspective. And obviously we're not gonna be able to provide all the layers, but maybe we can just provide insight into the knife that can be used to cut the layers. Yeah. And awesome. at the very least that should help. There's another tool, by the way. Um, like when you asked me, what is a Jew, right? Um, something that was important to me in my development was recognizing that I was part of the first generation since, since the Maccabees actually, that did not speak a Jewish language. Every generation of Jews throughout history has had their own language because that's how we connect. That's how we transcend borders. That's how we become sort of this universal entity that can span the entire globe because we have our own language, right? So what did your grandparents speak, Stephen? Um, on my mom and dad's side, just Spanish and English. Okay. Your great-grandparents spoke Yiddish. Oh, like, great. Yeah, yeah. If we go okay. Back. Your grandparents spoke Yiddish. And for 900 years, they spoke Yiddish. 900 years, right? 700 years. Now, Jews from the Arab lands, they had Judeo-Arabic. Jews from Spain, Sfardim, they had Ladino, right? Today, and by the way, all of them, all of them, regardless of whether it was Ladino, Yiddish, Judeo-Arabic, all of them also had another language, which is the language of the Jewish people, which is what? Aramaic, Hebrew. Hebrew. Hebrew is the language of the Jewish people. So when I was a young man, 18 years old, 19 years old, I decided to take a Hebrew class in college because I felt like, how could I not communicate with Jews around the world? I need to have that foundational idea. Moreover, I need to unlock the secrets of Torah. So I started learning Hebrew. And if I could suggest anything to somebody who feels disconnected, learn the Jewish language. It's so empowering. Uh -huh. It really is.